In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Jesus possesses eternity, and he's the only person to ever walk the planet or to live, be born in a manger to possess eternity. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, I was just uh, talking to some friends the other day, and... They're talking about their churches and how much their churches are struggling. And I said, gosh, man, our church seems to be like crushing it. And they're like, what, why, how, what? And I said, we have awesome elders. We really do. I mean, seriously, um, these guys, uh, I, I've sat on the eldership and it's not, it's not something I enjoy or ever really want to do again because I know what these guys go through. And it is, I just want to say thank you to our eldership. You guys, uh, I'm looking at Bob out there. I don't know. I see John right there. I think I saw Jeff back there. I don't know who else is out there. Thank you, guys. And you trustees, awesome. We have a great church. Uh, It's really a joy to be a part of this church. So I want to talk to you about, I I had this great message planned out for you on everlasting or eternal father. I had all the father wounds. I I have taken notes. And then I opened my Bible and started studying the passage. And I went, oh, that's all out the window because that's not what the Bible's saying at all. So this has been a real fun message to put together. I put a lot of hours in this message, but it's really interesting. It just starts with that baby in the manger. And I don't know if we have him over here. Is this where he is? Is he in there? Is he in there? He's, he's covered up. He must be really cold. And he's got a mask on, so he's COVID friendly. I have a granddaughter. Now, I'm a guy who's raised three sons. And when you have a granddaughter, it is like crazy how different they are. Like, they're different. And my, my wife has this little nativity scene, like a little teeny nativity scene. They're like characters like this big. And there's baby Jesus. And little Naomi comes over. Her name means grace. And she found this nativity scene. Oh, Papa, she says. Now, I tried to teach her to tell me, call me Grambo, but she won't do it. She calls me Papa. Oh, Papa, can I play with the baby Jesus? And this is how big he is. This is baby Jesus, little baby Jesus. Oh, and she comes over and she plays with the characters. And oh, she just loves the baby Jesus. Well, this year, my wife did something really cool. At Goodwill, she found a whole nether nativity scene with all the characters are much bigger. And they're all colored 
this is going to sound all wrong. And Shannon just wanted them all to be white. So, so they're all colored, different colors and color dresses. And so I went and spray painted everything white. So they're all totally white. But lo and behold, baby Jesus is bigger. <laughs> Naomi came over to spend the night. Oh, Papa, the baby Jesus, there's a bigger baby Jesus. Oh, Papa, is it okay if the baby Jesus has played together? Yes, honey, but be careful. They're porcelain. Papa shouldn't even be holding them. And so she went and played with her little baby Jesuses. She, you know, the poor thing, she's so sweet. She just does not understand who baby Jesus is. She has no concept besides this cute little baby with a friend who also is named Jesus. And when we look at this baby in the manger, for some of you this will be an oh, duh moment, but for me it was an epiphany. When you look at that baby in a manger, what do you see? Do you see a prophet? Do you see a king? Do you see a good teacher? A good example of living? A historical figure? Or for you as Jesus, which I don't think would be in this church, but is he just somebody on the same lines as King Arthur or the abominable snowman? I won't say Bigfoot because everybody who lives in Oregon knows that he is real. But when you look at that, what do you see? You know, we can get a lot of things wrong. And as, as Bob said earlier about the masks, these secondary types of doctrines, these secondary types of things, we can get a lot of stuff wrong, but we can't get Jesus wrong. We have to understand who he is. I got to tell you the funniest story. I was with uh, my board chairman. We were meeting at Flag and Wire Coffee, which is that they have a little outdoor area so you can kind of eat outside without a mask and, or have coffee. And we were having coffee one morning, and this guy rolls up on an electric bike. You know what those are? Anyway, the guy was, uh, he took off his beanie. He was about 40 years old, and he had, I, all I, can, I don't want to be disrespectful, he had a Klingon haircut. So he was completely bald right here, you know what I'm talking about, with super long hair. And he was dressed total Pacific Northwest, well-dressed guy, and he's really confident. And he's walking to the coffee shop, and he goes, hey, guys, what's up? And I, and I like to fish for people. I like to, you know, you do this too. I like to fish. I like to throw the lure and see if they bite. And I go, hey, man, great. Cool electronic bike. My buddy has one, and we ride it all the time. So he comes over, and he sits next to us. I'm like, oh, got the, got the fish on the hook. So he starts talking, and he's an acupuncturist in McMinnville. I forget his name. Just call him the Klingon electric bike man. And he's going off. He starts drifting way into Eastern mysticism, like, like way into this like weird, weird Eastern stuff. And I finally said, hey, bro, you know, I don't believe that stuff because I follow Jesus. Man, he got real, real serious. And he goes, bro, bro, you guys got to do your research, man. Will you please go and do your research? I go, about what? I'm thinking I'm going to have this apologetic discussion. He says, Jesus never existed, bro. He never even walked the planet. He's, a, he's like King Arthur. And I said, well, buddy, you know, it's interesting because in the first century, Tacitus, who's a Roman historian, and Josephus, who were Jewish, were eyewitnesses of Jesus and spoke to Jesus about Jesus. And Jesus is a historical figure. He really lived on the earth. It's not about whether he exists or not, but he lives on the earth. And the guy, his eyes, he got fried egg eyes, man. And he goes, what? He'd never heard that in his life. Nobody had ever talked to him that there was really a real Jesus. He had just grown up learning that Jesus, he didn't believe, was the Messiah. 
Now, I just pray that that guy, I can't remember his name, that that moment opened his eyes because he was definitely a spiritual guy, but he didn't get Jesus right. And this is the time of the year when we see it all the time. I call them CEOs, Christmas, Easter onlys. They show up for Christmas, they show up for Easter, and they never show up again. We spend countless, countless dollars on potlucks and breakfast and all these things trying to bring them in. And they are our sons, and they are our daughters, and they are our fathers, and they are our mothers, and they are our friends. But for some reason, they have not been able to cross over and to fully grasp who Jesus is. Because I think, I just believe this, if we can really understand who Jesus really was, it's a game changer. It's changed my life. So I want to pray this morning. I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're continuing in our series on, uh, I don't know what the series is called. <laughs> a series called Isaiah 9, 6, Bob? Okay, good enough. Anyway, so let me pray as you turn there. I'm going to uh, dissect this for you. And, and sh- I had an epiphany on this passage this week. So I'm really excited to share with you some things that God revealed to me through the prepping of this message. So Father, we just thank you for this time together. Pray that you would open our eyes <clears throat> to receive you, to hear your voice, to hear your words that we would truly understand that before everything existed, you were there. Believing in Jesus is easy once we understand, God, that you are eternal. That is the mighty leap of faith that we all must take today. And so we just pray that you would move me out of the way, that you'd bail me out, and all my preparation aside, throw it away, Uh, in the midst of your Holy Spirit coming and speaking to our hearts so we can give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's the verse, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I think I'm the third in this series so far. Is that true? And there's one more? Okay. So here it is. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I want to unpack a massive, I believe, scholarly misunderstanding in the scholarly world that is transferred into your Bibles. Now, maybe I'm wrong here. I just really know I'm right, though. I just want to show you something that I saw, and it just blows me away. Because when we look at the book of Isaiah, we need to realize it was written 748 50, 700, what is it, like something like that? Years before Jesus. 700 plus years before Jesus. And and we need to realize that the language that he is speaking and the culture he is speaking to, we have to read through our New Testament eyes. We have to go all the way back and travel 2,700 years and change to that moment and see what was he saying and how were they responding to it. What would they see when they heard that passage and that prophecy? So let's look at this. A child will be born, a son will be given, the government will rest on his shoulders, and on his shoulders, on his, and his name, let's stop there, and his name. Those three words meant something to the ancient hearer. And I don't know if we've had anybody preach on this yet, but it really, I want to I focus on this. We have lost something in the power of a name in our culture. Some of the names I hear out there, people naming their kids, I'm like, oh, Cove, Orchard? Uh, Really, seriously, those are names I've heard. Ocean? I heard that in the airport the other day. We are naming people things that mean nothing. They're poetic, they're pretty, they're nice. But back in the Hebrew days, Hebrew words meant something. 
They carried weight. They were prophetic. They spoke of events that occurred during birth or after or that they foresaw coming. Genesis chapter 4.25, after Cain is murdered by Abel. Adam had relations with his wife. She gave birth to a son. She named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another child in place of Abel because Cain killed him. Seth literally means in Hebrew, compensation. Genesis 29, 32. I just pulled a couple. There are dozens, dozens, dozens in Scripture. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son. Now remember, Leah was the wife that was not wanted, and she was the ugly one, right? That she had dull eyes. That's modern. Okay. So she's the first to conceive. She gives birth to a son, names him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction. In other words, she was ugly and wasn't loved. Okay. Reuben literally means, wow, a boy. (laughs) Wow, a boy. That's what it means. Behold, a boy. Exodus 2.10. Here's one that you might have heard of. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. You know what Moses means in Hebrew? Pulled out of the water. Hello. That's what it means. Good name, Moses. First Chronicles 4.9, and Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, meaning, or saying, because I gave birth to him in much pain. His name literally means, this is a bummer of a name. This is like Johnny Cash's boy named Sue. His name means, he makes me sorrowful. <laughs> I mean, what a bummer, right? So tomorrow, I turn 55. It's my birthday. And something happens every time I turn, I have a birthday. My mom calls me. She tells my birth story. Oh, Jimmy. She's, my mom's a little teeny lady. She weighs about 120 pounds. Oh, Jimmy, when you were born, your chest was bigger than your head, and they had to pull you out with forceps, and oh, it was like giving birth to twins, and you came up black and blue, and you were so bloody. I remember crying, he's so ugly, he's so ugly. My, I am literally the baby where the doctor said, hey, there's a treasure. My mom said, yes, let's bury it. That's me. So I thought, I thought, so I thought to myself, what would my mom name me if she were to name me, and she was an ancient Hebrew woman? Chesty? Boy that comes out with forceps? Ugly Portuguese boy? I mean, what would she name me? And so I think about this, and I think of the celebrities today who name their kids. Here are some celebrity names. Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry, their daughter, Daisy Dove. Elon Musk and, and Grimes. A-Ash, that Ash symbol with the AI combined. A-Ash, A-12, that's the name of the kid. Cameron Diaz named her son Radix. Lucky Blue Smith and Stormy Bree, Henley. Gravity Blue. Nicholas Cage and, and Alyssa Kim named their son Cal L, which remember that's Superman. That was his initial, original name before he came over from Krypton. John Legend, Chrissy Teigen. Lugan Simone is her name, or his name. I don't know what the, what the gender is. Jason Lee and Beth Risegraff, whatever, named their kid Pilot Inspector. But they spelled Inspector with a K. How about this one? Gwen Stefani had a kid. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl named Zuma Nesta Rock. Now, here's one for you. Jay-Z and Beyonce's kid, Blue Ivy. Now, I prefer our local celebrities because our local celebrities give names to their kids that mean something. James and Marie DeZellum named their daughter. You saw her up here today. I did not plan for that. Junia. Junia comes out of Romans chapter 16, verse 7, 
when she is named outstanding among the apostles. And I believe they named her Junia because they are calling something great out in their daughters. Even today she's trying to preach. See that? (laughs) So let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's look at how modern culture has stolen something that ancient cultures viewed as sacred and turned it, and we've turned it into a joke. I want to show what's going on in Isaiah 9-6 because there's something more than a name going on here. Look at you look at your verse. It says, will be called. His name will be called. When we use the word name nowadays, it doesn't mean much. It means we're creative and flashy and cute. Back then, to say name meant something. And what I believe is going on in Isaiah 9-6, I believe that the translators of most of your Bibles have wrongly put capital letters in front of the names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. If you have a King James Version, you'll notice Eternal Father is not capitalized. I do not believe those words should be capitalized. And I'm going to explain why in this message. The language that Isaiah uses is never meant to claim that these are actual names for Jesus. Instead, they are unique aspects of his character and nature. They're descriptions, not names, that do not warrant a capitalization. Now, you need to remember something here. Ancient Hebrew language did not use punctuation or capitalization, right? There's, there were no punct- and there were no vowels in ancient Hebrew. Did you know this? In fact, vowels were not thrown in until between 600 and 900 AD when the Masoretes built what is called the Masoretic Text, which is the Old Testament with vowels and accents put in. Am I so far... Okay, just want to make sure I got some ex-pastor here trying to help me out here. So, okay, so, so there were no, none of this was happening. So we come along, we make these translations of our Bible. We have to figure out where the capitals go, where the periods go, where the exclamation marks go, all of this stuff. And I believe that Isaiah 9-6 should not be capitalized in describing the coming Messiah because these are not names. These are descriptions of his nature, Character and nature, remember, also was synonymous with name. In other words, there is, and I want to say this, I hope I don't get sacrilegious on you. There is nothing holy in the name Jesus. That name was as common as John, as Fred, as Mike, as Bob. It was as common as every common name out there. Listen to what Albert Barnes writes. He writes this. About this phrase, his name will be called. This, this is huge, you guys. You need to listen to this. This is huge to me. This is huge for us. And his name shall be called actually means his attributes shall be such that it makes all applications appropriate descriptions of his power and work. This is a description of his nature and his attributes, not his name. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your nature and your authority and your dominion and your attributes. William Barclay writes this. Hallowed be your name means God enable us to give you the unique place in which your nature and character deserves and demands. It's where we read my favorite passages, Christological passages in Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves is also in Christ Jesus, who be existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he became a baby in a manger. And being in a like the likeness of a baby, 
And being found in appearance as a baby, I'm adding that, of course, he eventually humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those who are in heaven and earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the is the Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus, the, the attributes, the authority, the dominion, the character. Do you understand? Not the name. And here's why I know this, because I saw Jesus last week face to face. My family this year decided we didn't want to do presents, we wanted to do a vacation. So we took the whole family, the whole herd to Mexico. And I was sitting at a pool in Mexico, and I saw Jesus. I was laying at the pool. He walked up. His name said Jesus. Right there. Jesus. I said, is your name Jesus? Yes, Jesus. Did I bow down to Jesus? Did I worship Jesus? Did I give a tenth of everything I own to Jesus? No. I said, yo quiero grande nachos, por favor, amigo. And he went and got him and brought him back, and I gave him a tip. Because Jesus, the name of Jesus, means nothing. It's what Jesus stands for. That means everything. And we know that in what Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 6. When he calls Jesus, and these are the words I'm supposed to speak on, eternal Father. This is short and sweet today, people. Short and sweet. If eternal father should not be capital E and capital F, if you have a King James Version, the E is not capitalized already. If I believe that eternal father should not be capitalized, then what is going on here? What is really being said here? What is Isaiah really trying to communicate in the word of God? I believe he is actually saying that the character and the nature of the coming Messiah, Jesus, will be eternal. Now you stop and chew on that. That the nature of Jesus is eternal. What does that mean? The Messiah, who is 700 years to come, and 2,000 years has come already, was never created. He is the uncreated one. He is eternal. He's the only, I know everybody's going, duh, you, all this to get to that? Yes, it's so important. He is the only one who is uncreated. This is huge. Isaiah gives us a hint of this earlier in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, when he says, therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And she will name him. Did she name him Emmanuel? Did she name him Emmanuel? No, she named him what? Jesus. Right? It's not about the name. It's about the nature. He will be called Emmanuel. God with us. And then by chapter 9, he says, he will be eternal father. He will be eternal. Okay, so now you're saying, okay, Ramos, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. 
You're saying he's eternal father, and you're saying that's not a title or name, yet that's exactly what Isaiah says. Oh, no, it's not. Check this out. Albert Barnes writes this. According with the usual custom of Hebrew and Aramaic, where he who possesses something is the father of it. Right? Does this make sense? So, for example, Barnes continues, the father of strength means strong. The father of knowledge means intelligent. The father of glory means glorious. The father of goodness, good. The father of peace, peaceful. According to this, the meaning of the phrase, the father of eternity, properly means eternal. So all he's saying is, Jesus possesses eternity. And he's the only person to ever walk the planet or to live, be born in a manger to possess eternity. He's not created. This would be boring to me if I was listening to this right now because I already know this stuff, right? You're already going, I know all this stuff. Well, now I'm giving you ammo when the, when the uh, uh, Klingon electric bike man comes to you so you can thank me later. This is clear in Scripture from what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 5, verse 18. For this reason, it says, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. In John 8, 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not even 50 years old yet, but you said you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... Aye, aye, I am. I am is one of seven words. That's only, a one, that's only one word in Hebrew, aye. It's one of seven words in Hebrew that is not, a, a, they're not, never allowed to erase it. So if I were to walk up on a whiteboard and write that on a whiteboard in Jewish tradition, that whiteboard would always have to have that name up there in, white, in, in dry erasing because I would not be allowed to erase that name. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? He claimed to be eternal. Eternal father. The father of eternity. Not capital E, capital F. But he's the only eternal one. Look at what, look at what God himself says. This is my favorite Jehovah's Witness passage. Okay, here we go. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Four verses later, that same person says, I, Jesus, have sent an angel to testify to you about these things. Here's what I've learned. This was the hardest thing in my faith. And if you're listening to this today and you're a CEO or you're kind of, want, you're kind of struggling your faith, the most difficult thing about faith is not proving what Jesus did and who Jesus was on the earth. To me, that's a slam dunk. Just read a C.S. Lewis book, read Lee Strobel, read a Josh McDowell, it's easy. The hard part is the first step. And I've found the first step is always the hard part in everything. To understand and believe with all of your heart and all of your soul so that it ruins your life and changes your life and destroys your life and makes your life so much better after you've been ruined by it, it's understanding this. Before all other things were created, Jesus was. He's eternal. He's not created. 
So I was a youth pastor for 25 years. And uh, I hate heights. I'll, you can hang me off a rope from a cliff. I don't care. But to have me jump off a thing, I hate jumping off. I just don't like being, I just hate it. I'm deathly afraid of that. I hate it. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling off of heights. So we went to this camp down near Yosemite National Park, and there was this, they had this giant swing, giant swing. So what they do is they hook you with a harness, and you, and when you're, see, when you're doing high school ministry, you can kind of go, hey, yeah, I'm going to go fishing while you guys go do stupid stuff, jump off of stuff. You know, when you're in middle school, they're like, what are we going to do next, Jim? What are we going to do? We're going to follow you. So I'm like, ugh, going to the giant swing. So I'm waiting in line, man, and I'm, I'm just not doing good. <laughs> I'm not doing well. And they hook me in this harness, and they pull me up 40 feet. And I'm just looking straight down at the guy. Who, I'm on belay, or the, I just I don't know what that means. Like, you're going to die if you fall. So the worst part of this is you're, you're clipped. They have a, um, a carabiner. And you're hooked into this hook. And that's the only thing holding you in midair. And it's like, it's torturous. It's got a little rope on it. And you've got to pull and pull until that rope disengages. And you hang for like 20 seconds in midair before you fall. Ah! And then you do this thing. It was, oh, it was brutal. But I found that the hardest part was pulling that string. It was taking that first step because I knew it was coming next. And sometimes you never know what's coming next. And I would just say about your faith, if you're wrestling with who Jesus is right now, you need to pull the string. Take this first step. If you go to church and you're not letting, you're in church, you're going to cast church this I don't know, this thing isn't impacting my faith. I would say the reason why it's not impacting your faith is because you don't have faith. Because faith ruins you and deconstructs you and then makes you better and wholer and fuller and puts you back together again. But we have to take the first step. We have to take the first step of believing who Jesus is and his eternal nature. His eternal nature. So as I'm processing this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, but but Ramos, you're saying he's eternal and he's uncreated, but the Bible clearly says, what's the most generic verse in the Bible that everybody quotes? We all know it. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. <clears throat> I, don't, I didn't hear what you said, so don't worry. What did you say? Oh, that's the shortest one. You got it. You nailed it. The, law, the, 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 the one that you see at most football games or whatever is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So you go, wait, Ramos, you say he's not created, but you say, but the, clearly he's begotten. Well, yes, that does say that. Imagine you were a man or a woman living around AD 60, AD 40, AD 50. You saw Jesus. I mean, you were reading his Twitter feed. I mean, you knew who this guy was. You, you, some, you might, maybe he healed you. You know, maybe you were one of his apostles, his disciples. Maybe you were one of his brothers. Maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe you were somebody who grew up in, in, in uh, Nazareth and you knew him as a kid and you're going, wait, I knew this guy. You, you would wrestle with this. You would try to piece this together. And as the first century church tried to piece together who Jesus was, they believed he was the Messiah. The Jewish, they believed it. But they tried to piece it together. And as they tried to piece together who he actually was, remember, they didn't have the writings of John. The writings of Paul, they were still wrestling this thing, piecing it together. So as they were piecing it together and it was unpacking, they slowly began to understand it once they wrestled with it. 
And there's this weird thing in the church that bothers me, not this church, but the church, is that if you struggle with spiritual things, if you wrestle with it, if you're trying to wrestle it to the ground and figure it out, somehow that's wrong. And I would say somehow that's so right. I think the greatest sign that we're disciples of Jesus is that we struggle. We struggle with things. Like what do we do during COVID? Do we wear a mask or not to wear a mask? How do I, Lord, how do I handle this biblically? What's the, what's the biblical model? How do I handle the president who, who elect, who I may or may not have voted for? How do I handle these things as a believer? We should be wrestling with these things. It is good and healthy to wrestle with these things. It is good and healthy to wrestle with who, who is Jesus? What are these doctrines that we believe? What do they mean? And the church was wrestling with these things. In fact, it took five decades after the death of Jesus until John began to write the things that we see as 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John. 80, 90, 95. This is a long time after he, he and Peter or Paul came along and they began to write about who Jesus actually was. They pieced this all together. And so we have these beautiful books like Philippians and Colossians and 1 John and the Gospel of John that really piece it together for us. And look at what John says. Finally, in AD 90-95, he writes this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God because he's eternal. He went back to 1 John. If we go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, John continues that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So legend has it, in, in unpacking this begotten, not made concept, that the Apostles' Creed was actually written 10 days after the ascension of Jesus Christ. We can't prove that, that's a legend, but we do know this. <clears throat> we do know that the earliest manuscript or the earliest version of the Creed was written in 215 AD. That is not long after Jesus. That is not long. And that was, that, and that was used to refute some uh, heresies. Uh, several, maybe a couple years ago, we learned about Serenthus and how John talked to refute his uh, um, Heretical teaching. Uh, in AD 325, the Nicene Creed was affirmed at the First Council of Nicaea, which uh, was called to settle the false teachings of Arius out of Alexandria. That's where we get modern-day Arianism. And the main argument is that Arius said that Jesus was neither eternal nor divine. And so the Council of Nicaea came together and said, we need to figure this out and really articulate this well for believers who would come thousands of years later so they would understand what it means to be a Christian. The Nicene Creed countered this false teaching by describing Jesus as begotten and not made and being one in the substance of the Father. So here's part of what we believe as Christians. This is the part of the creed. We believe in one God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and it's really funny. I was going to call Josh this morning and go, or Thursday and go, bro, you need to play that Creed song. I'm like, you know what? He's going to figure it out. He's that good. I walk in and they're playing the Creed song. So, and I'm, I bet you it's right after this message too. I knew it. See, I didn't even talk to him about it. Thank you, Jesus, right? Because he's eternal. Okay. 
One, uh, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten. That's the Greek word monogenes. If you look at it in English, it's monogenes. Monogenes. In other words, same genetics. That's where we get that. So eternally begotten, the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, there it is twice, of one being with the Father, through him all things are made. Now, here I am speaking to you and uh, trying to articulate this to you that you can be begotten and eternal. And there's only one person who's ever been that, and that's Jesus. I'm going to defer to C.S. Lewis on this one. Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says something, he, he puts it together. He's such, got a beautiful way of articulating so that common people like us can understand deep theological truths. I mean, C.S. Lewis, really, really impressive. Someday I'm going to shake his hand. He wrote this, to beget is to become the father of. That's what the word literally means. Beget means father of. To beget is become the father of. To create is to make. And the difference is this. When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself, which thus the word monogenes, same genetics. A person begets human babies. A beaver begets little babies, or little beavers. A bird begets eggs, which turn into little birds. But when you make, you make something of a different kind from yourself. A bird makes a nest. A beaver builds a dam. A man makes a fence. Or he may, or he may make something more like himself, say a statue. If he's, clever enough of a, if he's clever enough, he may make a statue which is very much like a man indeed. But of course, it is not a real man. It only looks like one. It cannot breathe or think. It cannot be alive. It is not alive. Now that this... And C.S. Lewis continues, now that, this, now that is, oh, wow, now that, now that is the first thing to get clear. When God begets, what God begets is God, just as that what man begets is man. What God creates is not God, just as what man creates is not man. So when we see this word beget in the Bible, monogenes, we realize that this is only a word that only describes Jesus because Jesus is eternal Father. He's the only one who possesses the quality of eternity ever in the history of the world. And that is what we're talking about when we talk about eternal Father. That there's only one guy like that baby in a manger. That baby is eternal. We have to get Jesus right at Christmas. He is eternal Father. He is the Father of eternity. And I just want to close by saying this. If your life has not been changed by what that baby represents and who that baby grew up to be and who that baby became on the cross for you, if that message has not changed your life, I would say you need to change your faith change it to Christianity. You need to give your life to Jesus because that baby is a game changer. That baby is a world changer. That baby is a life changer. And when we grasp the depth of what it means to understand that that baby <clears throat> is truly eternal, was begotten and not made, is the only uncreated one, it will change your life forever. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this time with this wonderful church I love so much. God, I pray that you would bless us during this season and these difficult times that will pass. May we continue to shine uh, with your light in us, uh, your light that is eternal, your life that is immortal. Uh, God, and you represent something that no other person ever has and ever will represent. In you is eternity. In you, we see, the God, we see God the Father. God, we believe in the Trinity. We believe in Jesus, who he is. And even though we may see a lot of guys out there named Jesus, we know that there's no other name but your name, God, and that your name, your character and nature is above every other name. It always has, it always will. And I pray that we would give our hearts and lives to you this morning if we have not done so yet. In Jesus' name, amen. Men in the Arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.